right, well, we've come in our series on the Ten Commandments to the Third Commandment this morning. So if you would turn with me again to Exodus chapter 20. We'll read from the beginning here and through the, the first two commandments that we've looked at already and, uh, and then end on verse 7, which will be our focus uh, this morning. So hear God's uh, holy word, Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. I'll end our reading there this morning. I know someone uh, fairly well who has an uh, uh, unusual, not someone here or uh, that lives around here, but someone has a fairly unusual name, someone might say a uh, fairly odd name. Um, he told us a story over a meal once uh, about how he got this name. His name was a, a family name. His parents felt some obligation to, to use it, but didn't necessarily really want to. Uh, when he was in the womb, doctors expected him not to live very long after being born, so his, his parents jumped on the opportunity to use, <laughs> to use this name, uh, and then he lived, and, and lives with the name, and it's you know, closely identified with him. That, that reflects the fact that, that uh, parents give a lot of thought to uh, naming, and People, as they grow and as you get to know them, they, they come to be identified to some large degree with their, with their name. Um, the meaning of names, though, uh, at least in our culture, is, is generally not something Americans tend to think about a whole lot. Uh, the emphasis usually goes to how it sounds, or maybe it's a family name, and, and those, are the, those are the emphases in my family uh, as well. Uh, a name is, is largely something we have. Uh, and not something we are uh, to a large degree. But to grasp the, the weightiness, the meaning of the third commandment, uh, we need to realize, and this is, this is clear in so many ways throughout the scriptures, that God's name is not just a name. It's not just a label. It's not just a way to refer to God. Um, it's, it's not just something he has, uh, but God is his name. God is his name in a real sense. His name is to be equated with everything that he is, everything that he does. Um, we read in, in Exodus 3, uh, just a few minutes ago, and God revealed his, his special covenant name uh, to Moses uh, there. Um, this is the, the name in the, in the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's four letters, yod heh vav Y-H-W-H, usually in, in English. We don't actually know how it's pronounced, uh, because the, the Jews have not pronounced it for thousands of years. So that, that pronunciation has been, has been lost. It's uh, Yahweh is sometimes how it's said, and it's probably a good guess, at least. Uh, Jehovah would be a, a, an older way that it's translated, certainly not how it was pronounced originally, but there's, there's a reason for uh, Jehovah being, being what it is. But, but that name, 
And it's, it's also the name that's, in most of our English Bibles, is, is in all capital letters, Lord. Lord in all capital letters is, is this name translated. But it's roughly synonymous with what God tells Moses there. I am who I am. Uh, it, it seems to be related to the verb to be, I am. Uh, God is, is the self-existent, self-sufficient, uh, supremely sovereign God. Uh, but God has many names. This is, in, in some way, his, his special covenant name that he gave to Israel. But he's Lord, uh, not all capitals. He's, he's uh, Almighty. He's Shepherd. He's Father to us. Uh, he's Savior. And again, God is his name. Uh, as one writer puts it, God's, uh, his names represent his entire reputation. Um, countless times in Scripture, God, or, or what God does, is attributed to his name, uh, which isn't normally how we would, how we would use a name. Uh, uh, literarily, that's called a synecdoche. That's a big, fancy literary term, but we, we use synecdoches all the time. We know how they work. Um, it, it's when, when you refer to a part of something, when, when you mean the whole. So if I were to say, you know, if it were getting close to lunch in here, I'd say there's a lot of hungry mouths in here. Well, it's not just mouths in here, right? It's, it's the people. There's people. They're hungry people. If I invited you out and I said, you should come out and see my new wheels, um, I would be wanting to see my car, right? Not just, not just the wheels. Um, and, and so God's name stands for everything that he is. It's, it's God himself. It, it refers to him as, as glorious creator in Psalm 8. Uh, o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Of course, and then it goes on to speak of him as glorious creator. It's not just his name in the way that we would use that, but it's, it's God himself. Uh, it's used of him as, as redeemer. There's many places in the scripture where we're told to call on the name of the Lord. Call on his name. That is, call, call on him because he saves. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter says there's no other name given by which we must be saved. No other name. And just, just to further confirm this, this supreme concern in the scriptures for the reputation of God in his name, uh, what, what is the first petition that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your name. All right? Or uh, how does Paul describe in, in Philippians 2 the, the culminating event in all of history? At the name of Jesus, uh, every knee will bow. All right? Um, We've looked at the first commandment, which dealt with uh, which, which God do we serve, the one true God. We've looked at the second commandment, which dealt with how is, how is he worshipped, uh, how do we conceive of that one true God. Uh, and so this morning we're looking at the third commandment, which deals further with how we honor this God in, in all of life and identify with him and his, his names. Uh, so let's, let's consider first, as you see on your outline, there are a couple of uh, really the key terms in this, in this command, take and in vain. These are the words that are at the heart of what we're not to do uh, with God's name. Uh, in, in, our, in the introductory sermons to this series, we noted that one of the main concerns we see in the commands is that, that we're to understand a great depth and breadth of meaning in each of these commands. Um, not simply what's stated on the surface, if you will, here in, in Exodus 20, but the whole Bible fills out our understanding of, of that category, that category of, of doing what's wrong and doing, doing what's right. Um, it, that, that doing, and understanding the commands in that way causes God's law to more thoroughly, more effectively 
uh, be a mirror to us, to show us our sin, to show us the depth of God's grace. Uh, it, it causes it to be more thoroughly uh, a map for us to all the ways, all the depth of ways that there are to be like Christ, to love others, or to love God. Um, the third commandment, though, is probably the one we think is the easiest. Uh, people in general, at least, um, uh, tend to think it's the simplest one. Uh, we tend to think it's about using God's name you know, as, as a flippant curse word in the way we speak. Uh, and if we don't do that, then, then we're good. That's the third commandment. Uh, it certainly has application to that, uh, but the third commandment is, is much broader than that and has more, f- more fundamental meaning than that. Um, so the word to take here, taking the Lord's name, the, the Hebrew word most literally basically means to lift, to lift something is, is the word here. And then there are many different figurative meanings of the word. It's very much like our English word. There's a, there's a literal mean, you, you know, you lift something off the ground. But then there are lots of figurative meanings. You know, I need to lift to the store. Or, you know, lift this person up in prayer. You know, all kinds of wildly different meanings of, of that word. But the meaning here of this word seems to be to, to carry something, to bear. Uh, even, even sometimes to wear, it, it would be a synonym uh, for this. That seems to be the nuance here. And, and again, despite the common understanding of this command, this word to take, to lift, to, to carry, really to bear, uh, never once in the Old Testament means to speak something. Um, it, it has application to that again, and, and we'll talk about that. But it's much deeper, more significant. Every way that you handle or bear or carry or, or relate to the name of God uh, is what it's speaking to. As a Christian, you're identified with, you have upon you the name of God. Uh, you, you take up the name of God in worship or in prayer. Uh, you represent the name of God to others in how you live and in how you speak about God. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that more. How, how, is, how is the name not to be taken or, or carried by us? Well, it says in vain. And that word means basically empty. Or, or worthless, in an empty way or a worthless way. We're never ever to use or represent God's name or his person in, in a way that's empty of deep meaning or, or um, sincerity or reverence. By, uh, by Jesus' time, uh, the, the Jews often became guilty of dumbing down God's law, uh, making it more outward and doable and and surface level, if you will, more, more simple in a sense, uh, rather than a, a deep revelation of holiness that shows us the, the depth of our need for God's grace. So Jesus uh, conflicted with the Pharisees over, over on the Sabbath day uh, in, this, uh, in this connection uh, multiple times. Uh, the Jews, instead of letting the Sabbath rest, you know, become part of them, sink into their hearts as a way of, of loving God and loving others, um, essentially, this is somewhat oversimplistic, but said, you know, we're, we're not to work. Well, we'll just make rules. You can only walk this far. You can only carry this much. And those, those weren't God's rules, but those were ways that they supposed, well, if we don't cross this line, we've kept the command. Whether it has anything to do with your heart or not. And, and in that way, they sort of complicated and oversimplified the, the law of God at the same time. So likewise, with the third commandment, again, the reason we don't know how to pronounce Yahweh, or however you say it today, is because the Jews never even said the name of God. They say, well, the third commandment says, 
don't take the Lord's name in vain, so we'll just never speak it at all, and, and that's done. Right? Uh, they miss that it had to do with their whole lives, their, their very identity, and, and all of God's names. Um, and, and in fact, they fell into several uh, errors that God enumerates, uh, ways that they, they would take his name in vain in the Old Testament. So one is, is false oaths. Uh, Leviticus 19, God says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Uh, you're not to raise your right hand and put your left hand on a Bible, as it were, and say, So help me God, and say something that's, that's false. You know, using, using God's name to, to make people make yourself more believable or something like that, or promise something to someone. Um, another way was false prophecy. Uh, in Jeremiah 14, God speaks against those who, he says, prophesy in my name, although I did not send them. Uh, people using the name of God, his authority, his reputation, but God didn't actually put the words in their mouth. Uh, they're not actually serving him. So, uh, secondly, on, on your outline, uh, consider the, the warning that's here. Uh, again, we, we considered a warning last week connected with the second commandment. Uh, The third commandment is the other commandment that has uh, a warning attached to it. Uh, Look at the second half of verse 7. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Um, Your translation might have, it's a little bit more literal, will not hold him guiltless. You will not be guiltless. Now, you might recognize that's that's a little bit of a negative backwards sort of soft way to, to say what God is saying. Maybe it sounds a little bit strange. It certainly sounds much milder than the warning in the second commandment, which is, is very direct um, and, and very alarming. Um, uh, Phil Riken comments that the, the literary device here is called a meiosis. Again, it's a fancy word, but it's something we do all the time. Um, it's, it's where less is said, but more is clearly meant. So here's, here's a very good example of that. Uh, if I were to say to one of you, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That was a very, sort of very gentle, sort of backwards way of, of saying what, something. But, but you would understand that what I'm saying is, uh, you should not be doing what you're doing. That's dangerous. You should stop it, right? Um, that, that's kind of how this, this functions here. God is saying, though in a, in a gentler way, um, you will be held guilty of, of nothing less than blaspheming the holy name of the Lord God. You will not be held guiltless. Interestingly, the, the word guiltless here, the Hebrew word there, means uh, literally or basically to, to be free of something or even to be, to be empty. And so it's, it's something of a, of a synonym uh, with the word translated vain. And, and maybe sort of a play on words here. God is saying, if, if you use my name, if you relate to me, identify with my person in an empty way, uh, then, then I will hold you full of, of guilt before me. Um, now, now why? why? Why again do we have a, a warning attached to a command here? Well, uh, flippancy or hypocrisy or, and so on with God's name is an attack on his very person, his, his honor, his glory, right? It, it, it's not just a name. That, that's the point. Uh, one way to think of this is God will, will prosecute defamation, of his reputation or of his names. You know, people in our society do that. Um, and lest we miss how seriously God takes his name, 
Uh, here's the, the civil law that God lays down for Israel. This is basically the, the civil application of the third commandment. Leviticus 24, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely put, be put to death. Right, that's not a, that, that was a law for Israel, a civil law. It's not something that's binding on us, but it shows the, the weightiness of this command. And, and I just want to note as well, it's, we, we should think, in, in thinking about the question why, why so serious here, it's, it's not only offense against God in a, in a general sense, God in his, his sovereignty and so on, but against his grace for the people of God, the, the enormity of his love and his grace towards us as sinners. It, it's to treat that lightly. Uh, sometimes people read a, a warning like this in the Old Testament, they think, well, that's just, that's just Old Testament language. Um, that's simply not true. Um, if anything, the warnings like this get stronger in the New Testament. What, what, is the, what does the author of Hebrews say? In Hebrews 10, he's, he's arguing how much more, now that God has revealed the fullness of his grace, not, not withholding his own son to die for us, He says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The writer concludes, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So, anyways, there's a warning here to point us to how seriously God takes his name. Well, how do we, how do we break this command? How do we keep this command? Uh, this, how do we keep this part of God's map to life in Christ, to being his children, um, to loving him and loving others? Well, that's what we're going to look at, the, the third point here. There's four, four applications, four areas where we can think about this. And for each of these, we'll think about the negative first, what, what to avoid how we would take the Lord's name in vain, but also briefly think about the positive. What what does this imply we should do relative to the name of God? So first, taking his name in vain, uh, letter A, in our words. Uh, In our words. Again, this is maybe the most obvious application of this command, the way we think about it, tend to think about it. Uh, How we speak about, how how we use the names of God. Uh, do we take up names of God in, in vain or in empty or in, in flippant ways? It, it sadly is, of course, as we all know, extremely common to hear uh, God's names used as, as curse words, as just exclamations with, with no sincerity of, of calling on God. Um, it's done with, with Jesus' name. Uh, I heard one pastor say and about the Oxford English Dictionary, I wasn't able to confirm this because I don't have one and you have to pay to see it online, but um, taking him at his word, he said, if you look up Jesus in the Oxford English Dictionary, you, there's an entry, an exclamation used to express anger, annoyance, or surprise. And then there's another entrance, you know, the main figure in the Christian religion. Uh, very, very sad that those are competing entries uh, in the dictionary. Any, any flippant, though, exclamatory use of God's name is, is surely one, one application, one, one vain way of, of using God's name addressed here that, that fails to honor his reputation 
and his glory and his majesty and his grace. You know, saying, oh my God, or good Lord, I swear to God. There's all kinds of ways that it just, you know, flows out of people's mouths without, without sincere attention to who God is. It certainly applies to slang as well. You know, people say something like, dadgummit. You know, should we, should we think this doesn't apply if we, if we flip a couple of consonants around? That's it, something that we ought to be careful with. Probably a poorly disguised cursing with the name of God. Uh, even saying geez or gosh or golly, these are flippant, euphemistic names uh, of God, uses of the very name of God. Um, and many might protest, well, I, you know, that's not what I mean by saying any of these terms, these phrases. I, I don't mean anything by it. Right? It's, just, it's just an expression. Brothers and sisters, that is the very point of the third commandment. It's using the name of God and not meaning anything by it. Just using it as, as an expression and not addressing uh, our holy God. It's a vain use. These are all empty, vain uses of the name of God. Uh, one, one writer says, helpfully or convictingly, flippancy, in that way, is a cousin to profanity. Flippancy is a cousin to profanity. Well, how ought we to keep the third commandment with our words positively? Well, we, should always, we should speak the names of God with, with reverence, with adoration, with, with sincerity, with, with love for him. Uh, we should also... Use God's names. Go back to the fact that, that the Jews for you know, all these centuries and centuries have not used that, that covenant name of God. Um, that, that was wrong. God gave his name to be known and to be used, um, to be honored. Uh, using God's names is a way that we uh, draw closer to him. It's a, it's a way that we commune with him as our father, as our savior. Uh, we speak to him, to others, with, with care, with reverence, with affection, uh, with love. So our words. Secondly, letter B, uh, taking God's name in our wheedling. Yes, I went to the, the thesaurus to keep my alliteration here, but I think it's an appropriate word. Uh, our wheedling. What I, wheedling is, is trying to persuade or coach someone in, into doing something to Maybe to get something from them. So I'm, I'm thinking in terms of using God's name to advance our own agenda. And it's, it's, not, it, it's sometimes closely related to the, the previous point here, but um, I'll start sort of out there in, in examples. We see this in politics. Um, we see it arguably when politicians attach apparently vacuous, superficial, hollow you know, God bless America or something at the end of every speech we hear. Certainly there are, there are godly people out there who make those speeches and, and mean something by it. But everyone does it. Certainly many times it's, it's vacuous and vain. Um, a, sort of, you know, a, a way to present yourself and advance your agenda. Um, one of our president's favorite phrases is, uh, just because it's such a good example of this, for God's sake. Right? If you listen to him much, he says it all the time. If he's worked up about something or wants to make a point or push a policy, for God's sake, this is what we should do. It's a way we can easily push our own agenda with the name of God. But closer to home, in, in, in the church, we can do this as well. Sometimes when professing Christians say, God told me, or God is telling us, 
God is telling you, you to be very careful with, with phrases like that. Uh, certainly, if it's something that's straight from God's word that God did say, that, that could be a very legitimate thing to say. But if it's something out of my mind, it could be akin to, to false prophecy, really. Uh, more subtly, I think often ministry plans are, are advanced and people are, are pulled on board by invoking the name of God. Um, if, I, if I stood up here in the announcement time this morning and said to you, you know, the elders and I have, have prayed a lot about this and, and God is leading us to purchase a new church building. And so you all need to get on board with God and, you know, start giving and so on. Or, or God, you know, God is leading us to start a mission work in, in, in such and such a place. Or, you know, step out in faith with me and, and we're going to do this or that. Um, these are all manipulative. They may be good things to do, but they're manipulative uses of the name of God. Uh, there are good ways to present ideas uh, w- without trying to put the weight of God behind it. Um, it's presuming to speak for God using his name, uh, implying that if you, know, if you have any concerns, maybe financial, or do we have the gifts for that, or is this the timing, or uh, anything, if you have concerns, well, you're opposing God's will. God is leading in this. I prayed about this. Right? That, that's a manipulative use of God's name that, that sadly can happen easily. Uh, just, just one more example, sort of uh, zooming back out, and, and I, I bring this up again just for our, our wisdom in our, in our culture, uh, the, the health and wealth or prosperity gospel movement uh, in the world or the word of faith movement uses it's really founded on using the name of God to, to make promises for things that God hasn't promised. Um, so pray in the name of Jesus or use God's name in a certain way and you can access his power for, for money or to get that job or for healing or whatever it might be. The things that God hasn't, hasn't guaranteed or hasn't promised in his name. Or you hear someone on the radio or, or on, on TV saying, you know, send $100 to our ministry and God will multiply that by 10 times to you. You know, you'll, you'll get an extra $1,000. And they're, they're here, the, the using God's name to benefit yourself is sort of going both ways. It's, again, a, a vain invoking of God's name to advance our own agenda. Well, how do we do otherwise? What, what's the opposite of using God's name to advance our agenda? Well, seek to advance his kingdom. Right? It may be that, that he wants us to start this ministry or, or purchase this or that or something, and, and we can, just, we can uh, pursue that prayerfully together, but we do it for his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Uh, may your name be glorified. Uh, we need to accept that advancing God's will, his, his kingdom, means often putting aside ours, right? putting aside what we want or our comfort or our plans, um, Realizing that the fruit that the name of God will produce in your life is not necessarily success, successful business, or successful ministry, or uh, other things, but it's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Thirdly, letter C, taking God's name in vain in our worship, in our worship. Uh, think about uh, your private worship or your prayer. Uh, do you really pray? Uh, do you really commune with God when you take up his name and, and come to him? Um, you come to him consciously as father and, and really pray in faith. That, that's a way uh, we take up his name in, 
in a meaningful way or in a vain way? Are, are your prayers perfunctory or, or just routine? Uh, when you think about this in terms of corporate worship, uh, when we're, we didn't do this today as we normally do as we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, but um, when someone else is praying, when someone else is taking up the name of God at the throne of grace, uh, is, is your head bowed joining them and taking up the name of God? Or uh, as, as we've all experienced, is, is your mind a, a thousand miles away? Um, when we sing, we sing many names of God uh, in the Psalms. Uh, taking up his name in praise and pleading and confessing. Is, is your worship really lifting up his name? Um, are you really praising him, really consciously thinking about what, what you're singing, how you're glorifying him in your heart, or is our worship casual, routine, or, or thoughtless? Well, I've, I've already mixed here how, you know, the, sort of the how we do otherwise with, with how, we, how we break this command. Uh, we all get distracted in our worship or our prayers. It's, um, it, it, it's something to strive against, but it, it happens, especially if you have a baby in your lap or, or something like that. Um, but because of who God is to us, because of who he's done, what he's done for us, uh, we ought to strive consciously to worship sincerely in our hearts and, and, and take some time to reflect. What, what helps me to do that? Uh, how, how can I do that more, more faithfully? Uh, listen to how the Psalms over and over again connect worship to the name of God. Uh, Psalm 96 we sang earlier. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Uh, Psalm 66, we'll sing in a bit. Sing the glory of his name. Give, him, give to him glorious praise. Uh, or Psalm 103 begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Uh, just in, in thinking about prayer, I think I shared this once before, the, the Puritans have a helpful saying that um, I've remembered from time to time. The saying is simply this, Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. It's, it's a simple confession that prayer is often distracted. It's often um, disconnected from real conscious communion with God. And sometimes it takes time to, to really focus, to really be praying from the heart, to really be communing with God in, pray, in prayer. So pray until you pray. Uh, fourthly, letter D, uh, taking God's name in vain in our witness. In our witness. Perhaps the most serious way you either carry or bear the name of God in, in reverence or in vain uh, is in the way you simply live consistently with your profession as Christian. Uh, I want to note a way the third commandment relate, relates importantly to your baptism. Uh, one of the important ways to think about baptism is as a naming ceremony. God puts his name on you. This is, this is how Jesus describes it in Matthew 28, baptizing them into the name of the triune God. God has put his name on you. You bear the name of God. You are Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a child of God. All kinds of ways that the name of God is, is on you. And if your life, your words, your actions contradict that, repudiate that, you're bearing the name of God in an empty or a vain way or dishonoring him. Of course, we all, we all do that. We all fail daily in that. But are, are we repenting? Are we turning back? Or are we carelessly, consistently, flippantly continuing in that? Uh, kids bear their family's name in, in this way. They, they reflect on their parents. To some degree, at least, they bring honor or dishonor 
their family name. Uh, athletes at the Olympics, they represent their country. They, they bear their country's colors and flag. And sometimes they bring great honor to their country. Sometimes they act foolishly and they, they shame their country. Uh, in Romans 2, verse 22, there's a, there's a, a resting example of this. Paul rebukes some who profess to be children of God. And he says, the name of God, though, is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's addressing people who, who profess to know God and belong to him. He says, your, your lives, because they're, you're living simply like the world, are, are blasphemous. Um, you see that this command then touches everything. It touches all of life. Uh, because your very identity is as one who bears the name of God and, and represents the Lord Jesus in all that you do. Uh, there's a sense in which all, all three of the first commandments, I think maybe we can understand, uh, having reflect on the, uh, reflected on these in recent weeks, they, they're all tied intimately together, the first three, and, and, and also tied intimately with the rest of them, the other seven. You know, if, if you lie and break the ninth commandment, have you not also dishonored the name of God whom, whom you represent, who redeemed you, the God of truth? So how do we live out the positive side of this? Uh, well, consciously live for the Lord in all that you do. The God whose name is on you. The God whose name you bear. Uh, one writer puts it this way, there's a privilege and a responsibility that comes with bearing the name of Christ. We're called to live in a way that shows the God who's reflected in all the Ten Commandments, a God of, of faithfulness and a God of truth and a God of love and a God who, of life and a God who can be trusted. I think the best summary of, of the positive in, invitation of the Third Commandment uh, is what we read in Colossians 3, uh, a verse we read in Colossians 3 already earlier this morning. Paul began that section again by saying, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This, this is who you are. God's name is on you. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, love. And then verse 17 is the one I'm, I'm particularly drawing your attention to that, that I think sums up this invitation well. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you're worshiping or you're reading or you're hugging your kids or disciplining your kids or you're working at your job or you're making dinner or you're eating dinner or you're shoveling snow or you're playing tennis or you're brushing your teeth. All right, do it all with, with the name of Jesus in your mind as, as a calling from him. An opportunity to represent him or, or to dishonor him as a way to, to serve yourself or to serve him and enjoy all that he's given to you and called you to. Uh, Kevin DeYoung has this comment. He says, when we do all that we do and do it in Christ, for Christ and through Christ, we show that his is the name that we value, the name we love and the name that is above all names. Well, fourthly uh, and finally, uh, briefly, uh, call on his name. Call on his name. Uh, perhaps someone here this morning is, is not keeping the third commandment because you, you know the name of God, you know things about God, uh, you, you identify with this God in some way, but you don't have a personal, saving, life-transforming life relationship with him. 
Um, Jesus addresses this issue multiple times in the Gospels. Uh, those who use his name, who call on his name, he says those who say, will say, Lord, Lord, at that last great day, they, they know his name, they identify with his name, but Jesus says, I will say, I, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're using identifying in an empty and vain and useless way with, with my name. You've, you've, in fact, been living for yourself. And, and so I want to invite you this morning, as the Bible states it over and over again, to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, know him really. Know, know him as the God who, who, yes, reveals and condemns sin. We've been talking about that. But who freely forgives, who shows mercy to a thousand generations, those who put their faith and their trust in the name of Jesus, that is, in, in the person of Jesus and all of he, that he's done, his death on the cross in the place of sinners. Again, in Acts 4, Peter says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, you either live for your name and, and you remain under God's curse for your sin, or you live for his name and you receive his grace and his blessing. Well, I have a few more related and, and closing thoughts as we come to the Lord's table uh, in a moment, but let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this time we've had to consider your word and uh, your gracious law that is a mirror to us to see our need for Christ and, and a map to see uh, how it is that we live in him, how we love you, uh, how we love others. We pray that you'd give us careful and faithful reflection on these things, uh, that we would more and more live faithfully for your name in a way that uh, draws others to you. Um, uh, Lord, we pray all of this uh, in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.